Just four would uh, volunteer to. There's the four plates in the back. Just grab those. Brother Scholl's going to get those. I'm sure Sister, uh, Sister Dameron would love to play an offertory, wouldn't you? I, I knew that. I could tell. She was just begging to play an offertory. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Man, if we can get six up here, we'll get more money, maybe. Yeah, just look at that. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Excellent, excellent. Brother Addison Brown, would you ask the blessing on the offering, please? if you have your Bibles turned to the book of Jude and if you do not have a handout we have a couple more down here uh, there's a couple more if you, anybody need one we tried to I find I found Bibles sitting there and stuck them there all right so in Jude chapter uh, I'm sorry Jude chapter 3 yeah <laughs> 
speaking of speaking of apologetics, all right, and Bible versions. All right, so Jude 3 and 4. Most of us know the book of, of Jude, and we understand the context. But in verse 3 and 4, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful me, for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the, uh, unto the saints. Then verse 4, this kind of deals, I believe, with the issue that we're talking about. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And that basically is a great description of Reformed theology, turning the grace of our God into the lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, this morning we're not going to be able to cover all of it. And so I, I gave you a handout. It's something we're preparing for. Um, I'm doing more of lecture, all right? So you have a preacher before me, a preacher after me, and in the middle, uh, we'll go to sleep uh, with a lecture, okay? But uh, my job now is uh, as a director of a seminary, and my heart's desire, uh, I think it started when I was in 10th grade. I thank the Lord for a teacher, it was a science teacher, actually, uh, that uh, got me to come back to the Lord, and he gave me my first concordance. And during study hall, he steered me towards the love of God's Word. And that started a love of doctrine. And I, I just love doctrine. I love thinking through doctrine. And so we're going to think about that uh, this morning, thinking about the dangers of Reformed theology. So the first part of your handout, um, we're prepping next week, next Monday. Uh, I drive to the airport and pick up one of our professors, Dr. Bob Dalton. And I brought the book, so this was the first one off the press when I met with him. He lives in Florida, he's a retired college teacher, and so he despises Reformed theology. So he just finished a book called John Calvin, The Pope of the Protestant Inquisition. <laughs> um, uh, and when we were sitting there, we were sitting at Panera Bread reviewing the uh, class for next week, going through the notes, and he looked at me and he said, he said, Brother Steve, he goes, Calvinism, Reformed theology, I despise it. He said, it is the death of a church. It's the death of a church. And so we need to understand a little bit about it. So the first couple pages there are taken from Dr. Bob Dalton, and I gave them to you uh, just so that you could peruse through it. And it might whet your appetite. Maybe you would want to take a class. All right. uh, we would have that class available probably in the summer or in the fall, but we're doing a, it'll end up being about 11-hour class on the dangers, or actually Reformed theology and Calvinism, trying to understand it. Because I think that's some of what some of the younger guys are getting swept into it, because there's just a lack of understanding. And they're, I'm not trying to be mean to them, but they're simple. They're simple. And... Um, and there is, there's an aspect of Reformed theology uh, that is grabbing, grabbing them. And so in uh, Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion, uh, we have some opening statements under the heretical Calvinism. So John Calvin, and in that first, the background information, basically God is the author of sin, and that's what, that, that is straight heresy. God is not the author of sin, but that's where, if you truly study Calvinism and Reformed theology, that's what they are saying. You're 
you're destined to sin. So that ultimately means that God is the author of sin. And that's wrong. Uh, it also takes away the idea of choice. And there's a, uh, I believe that there's some independent Baptists that have problem with that, with choice. And we're going to talk about that at the end. And I'm glad for my heritage. I grew up under, uh, I mentioned it uh, yesterday, I grew up under Roy Thompson. And Roy Thompson used to say this from the pulpit. You, he said, you cut me, I bleed Baptist. <laughs> okay? And there's just something just growing up. I, I don't really remember a message about being Baptist. But it, he was able through his preaching to make me love the idea and the concept of being Baptist. And that there's choice. That ultimately it does come down to it, and we have to understand that. And uh, Protestants, Catholics, and almost every other religion, there's not choice. It's what makes being Baptist unique. It's, it makes, uh, there's a liberating experience when you truly understand being Baptist. There's a freedom that is there that is just awesome. And so the devil fights it. I think with tooth and nail, every, every arsenal, everything he can pull out of his arsenal. And the reason is because becoming, you know, some people, I've heard this statement, you know, I'm more Bible than Baptist. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I actually have no idea. Maybe they're counteracting the Southern Baptists, which I wish they would just not call themselves Baptists. They're Southern. All right, just, I'm sorry, any of you that love Southern, okay? Maybe you're just Southern, but Southern Baptist, the whole concept of the Southern Baptist is not Baptist. Right. I mean, that they own this property and, you know, all that type of thing. They can, they can place somebody into a church, take them, pull them out uh, from this big head. I mean, right there, automatically, you're thinking of a papacy. And so we understand it as independent Baptist. The devil also, I believe, is scared of independent Baptists because we understand freedom like nobody else and that liberty that comes. And so a couple of things then uh, you'll, you'll see as you peruse that background information. Um, the, the, actually, John Piper now claims to be a seven-point Calvinist. I don't even know how you're a seven-point. I guess he's better than even Calvin. Uh, but John Piper... If you, he's a, a weird one because he's mixed Calvinism and charismatic movement together. The weirdest combination. You'd think that that doesn't even mix. Um, and actually, the so Bob Dalton, you mentioned uh, Reformed Baptist. Bob Dalton says that that's actually an oxymoron. To call yourself Reformed and Baptist is an oxymoron because being Baptist goes against almost everything that is Reformed. So we're going to just look at this uh, this morning uh, just quickly and hopefully with God's help. Uh, I came up with my own tulip. All right, so I call it the dangers of uh, the dangerous doctrine of reform theology. Uh, and that's where we're going to start. Another subtitle would be the dark color of the tulip, right? the dark or the dark side of the tulip. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to help as we begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom, guidance, and Lord, we don't want to be uh, silly, uh, we don't want to be demeaning, but Lord, we want to come to Scripture 
uh, and understand it properly. And I pray that you would help us as we look at it this morning. I pray that it would help us as we talk with others that we truly can contend for the faith biblically. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in your outline, the T, the T. So this is my counteract to the tulip. So Reformed theology, I believe, is totally reliant on man's thinking. That's the blank. Totally reliant on man's thinking. So what do we mean by that? There's a reliance on man's ability to understand certain aspects of biblical doctrines and not rely on scriptures to define themselves. All right, so normally when you're talking to somebody that is being swept into Reformed theology, many times as you're talking to them, they will not quote scripture. What they quote is authors all the time. They're like, well, this guy said this, and this guy said this, and this guy said this. You're like, so what about the Bible? And even sometimes they'll, they'll say that to us, like, you know what? It's just with you, it's always about the Bible. But it is. It is about the Bible. So what does the Bible have to say to us to help us understand? So here's some scriptures uh, I gave you some examples. We don't have time to go through all of them, but like even predestination, irresistible grace, as you're, it, it's totally reliant on man's thinking. All right? And by that, with some of the predestination and some of the irresistible grace, some of it is, is trying to bring in man's ideas. Uh, and man's ideas, as I'm studying Scripture, I say, well, God knows everything. All right? And I understand that. But I have to go to Scripture, and I have to balance it. And the balancing is that God, and you see this right away in the book of Genesis, that God placed Adam and Eve there, and it is very evident that they had a choice. It's so very evident. Now, I, I can tell you this. I have a hard time saying God knows everything, and man has a choice. But that's me. And I think sometimes that's what happens when it comes to Reformed theology. Calvin, and, and just so you know, Calvin was a lover of Augustine. Right, he worshipped at the feet of Augustine. And so some of it is knowing that and studying it. I don't see any evidence that Augustine was saved. Uh, he was very heretical in what he said. Uh, even Calvin, it's very hard to pin a salvation testimony in his writings. And, and there is a lot of writings, just so you know, with John Calvin. And so to say, well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of writing that John Calvin did. And to write all of that and not have a clear salvation testimony is confusing to me. So totally reliant on man's thoughts. So here's some verses that I think help us in understanding this concept of man's idea. So Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Uh, Isaiah 50, uh, 55. Isaiah 55 and verse 5 and 6. Isaiah 55, 
sorry, Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 8. Seek ye the Lord while ye may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That went all the way through uh, verse 9. So that's Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. There are other verses we could use, but over and over in Scripture, we are told that man's thinking is faulty. And we have to understand that as we approach anything with theology, is that man's thinking is uh, faulty. And, and, and I love studying. All right, that, That's the um, amazing thing that God does in our life is uh, he does give you uh, he does give you the desire of your heart. My desire since I was a, a teenager was to study God's Word. And, and I love the study of God's Word. And that's my job now. That's, and to help and to propagate that and coming up with classes and courses. That's my job. That's all I do is coming up with that. And besides that, a whole bunch of um, administrative things that I didn't think I'd have to do. All right. But really when it comes down to it, all right, so... I, I love hermeneutics. So hermeneutics, all right, there's homiletics, which is basically the art of preaching, but then there's hermeneutics, which is the art of studying Scripture. And so we say this in hermeneutics, that there is only one true interpretation of Scripture, and that is God's. But the problem is that we're all men, so my interpretation of what God's one interpretation is, is right. And that's what we have to understand. We're still men. So I've had people say this. They're like, you know what? You've changed. And I have. Because my understanding at 20 years old was stupid. (laughs) And sometimes my understanding at 30 years old was stupid. And really, if we... So this is opposed to the reform. So the reform have a problem with sanctification. They really do. I believe biblically on the earth, it's the only time, I like this word, I believe in progressive sanctification here on this earth. I don't like being progressive, but in sanctification, I like being progressive. So here on this earth, and the Bible bears this out, I'm supposed to grow in grace. Second Peter chapter 1 tells me I have to add to my faith. It's not for salvation. But if I'm not adding to my faith, I am not growing. And that's here on this earth. So I have to understand that that as I'm I'm learning, the Reformed guys are totally reliant on man's thinking. And I've got to come to Scripture, and there are some times, so in, in Scripture, what is... I think it's first Corinthians, uh, well, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, we live by faith and not by sight. So there are some things. Again, I, you know, I have seminary degrees. I study the Bible all the time. But there's some things I still don't get. I just don't get it. And you know, there's something in me. I don't like saying that. Someone comes and they ask you, hey, so what do you think about this? Well, well, 
You know what? I've been studying. We're so arrogant sometimes. Like, as I've been studying, I've realized I'm an idiot. All right? But we don't like saying that. As I've been studying, I still don't get it. I mean, how do you explain three and one? Three, one, three, one. I mean, I know it. I, I understand it because the Bible says it. And so um, the T is totally reliant on man's thinking. Um, if the Bible is our final authority, try to come at your belief system and practice with Bible backing. It doesn't matter what some other church or man has said. If it is contrary to Scripture, go with the Bible. Then remember the importance of the local church. It's the authority when it comes to our practice. This is the beauty of the Baptist model. The beauty of the Baptist model, and so a, a fatal trap, I would say, is um, in this totally reliant on man's thinking. All right, God has forced me into this world. So I'm in Dover, starting a, you know, we're, we're helping get a seminary off the ground. Nobody knows my pastor. They're like, who, who's your pastor? Pastor T.H. Moore. Like, who's that? He's in no camp, or as I call, he's in no tribe. And, and as, as independent Baptists, remember, that's the beauty of the Baptist model. If, if one church goes haywire, it's one church. But if the whole Southern Baptist, which the last I heard is like 46,000 churches or something like that, the whole Southern Baptist goes out, well, because they're a papacy, then guess what happens? 46,000 churches have error. God is amazing in what he designs. One church is off, it goes off, and we just keep going. It's the beauty of the Baptist model, so don't get caught up in tribalism, as I call it. So totally reliant on man's thinking. The letter U. The letter U. Uh, and so, again, this is you can feel free to steal this outline or whatever. I would just not recommend using this in your argument against the reform because my sarcasm does come out through my outline. So totally reliant man's thinking. The U, unusual arrogance. There is an unusual arrogance taught in the Reformed theology. So how does that come about? So some of it is, let's dive into their theology. So what are they taught? They're elect, and this person isn't. What does it automatically make you? Better than them. So it's in their theology. So it's very similar to... I don't know if you've ever been able to take a trip to Israel. I've been able to go a few times on trips to Israel. I can remember the, uh, either the last time or the time before, we flew to New York, and from New York, we flew to uh, straight to Tel Aviv. And on the plane, New York City is filled with Jewish people, so all of them were going, or not all of them, there's a whole bunch of them going back you know, for a trip. And as we're coming in to Tel Aviv, the pilot gets on or the stewardess, and they say, hey, just so you know, as we're nearing the, the air of Israel, Israel has a policy that fighter jets will be off in the distance, so we ask that you please sit down. 
as soon as they said that, all the Jewish dudes around me stood up. And I'm like, dudes, I know you're God's chosen people, but I'm going to kill you if I die. I don't, I don't even know if that makes sense, all right? But I'm going to get shot down. But it was like they, whatever anybody said, they did the opposite. Well, why? God's chosen people. I noticed that over there. I'm, well, I'm chosen. And there was an arrogance that they have. Well, and I believe they're God's chosen people, but dude, you need to get saved. <laughs> As I'm telling you, um, you may not believe in hell, but you may end up going there soon after I kill you. All right? But I'm like, man, these guys are crazy. But there's an arrogance. Well, Reformed theologians have that built in because of the theology. Well, I'm elect. I mean, so they, they speak down to people all the time. And that is not, that's not found in Scripture. They also, if you, if you uh, talk to Reformed theologians or you read a little bit about them, which um, be careful of that, I would say you want to have that with some accountability because of the danger of it. But Reformed theologians really don't like the New Testament a lot. They love and they weave through the Old Testament. They just love the Old Testament, all right? And, um, and really, in the New Testament, I think one of the reasons, because if they read the New Testament a lot, they'd be convicted. Because the New Testament has a whole lot to say about our spirit. A whole lot to say. I mean, you, you go into the Pauline epistles and you're reading in Galatians and, uh, and Ephesians and Colossians, Man, you're just thumped over and over because I've got to put off and put on. And I've got to mortify. And I've got to do all these things. Well, they don't like talking about that. And in fact, they, they have some unusual uh, examples in their doctrine. So John Calvin called this, as, as far as an arrogance, so if you look up um, his thinking, he calls it the decreptum horribile. All right, that's, I think, a blank in your thing there under the, the U. Uh, the decreptum, all right, so that's D-E-C-R-E-T-U-M. And I think I put even the institute it was written. So John Calvin, so it's really weird when you're talking to Reformed theologians when it comes to this idea of predestination. So in predestination, they say that there is single predestination and double predestination. And the really conservative, like, they'd almost consider themselves good. They're like, well, no, 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 I don't believe in double predestination. And you're like, well, so what do you mean by that? Well, I'm just a single predestination, so God has only chosen the elect to go to heaven. He hasn't chosen the others to go to hell. But I'm like, so where do they go then if they're not chosen? Well, to hell. Well, then... That's double predestinate. No, 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 I am not that. Well, like, well, if you believe God chose people to go to heaven, then God chose the other people to go to hell. No, 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 he didn't choose that, but, but did he? So it's really hard. And then when your head hurts and you're like, I don't get it. They're like, well, remember the unusual arrogance? Well, I know that probably you, you just don't understand. So um, in... In that background information, I gave you some books to, that are, are really good about 
uh, learning about Reformed theology. Probably the best, if you haven't read it, is Dave Hunt's book. Well, of is this. He breaks it down like nobody else. And also, in his introduction, he talks about it. So he had very good Calvinist of friends that he sent the manuscript to. He had read hundreds of books on Calvinism. They hadn't. And when he gave it to them, and he said, hey, so what about this and this? They said exactly that. He had studied it more than them, and he had Bible to back up what he believed, and they only had authors to back up what they believed. And when he contradicted them, they said, well, you don't, you don't understand. You're not going to understand it. It's like, well, I'm trying to. Yeah, but you won't. But that's ultimately how they come at it then. So how can you argue with that? You can't. So unusual arrogance. Um, I gave, I don't know if I gave you the quote. Yeah, I did. It's on your handout. So listen to this as far as the unusual arrogance. Listen to what uh, Jay Adams says in Competent to Counsel. Counselors as Christians are obligated to present the claims of Christ. They must present the good news that Christ Jesus died on the cross in the place of his own, that he bore the guilt and suffered the penalty for their sins. He died that all whom the Father had given to him might come unto him and have life everlasting. As a Reformed Christian, the writer believes that counselors must not tell any unsaved counselee that Christ died for him, for they cannot say that. No man except Christ himself, who are his elect, for whom he died. Now, so why are you even counseling anybody? How depressing. But this is what they believe. This is what they believe. So what is the, the biblical response then is to help people knowing Scripture and saying, so what does Scripture has to say? And there's tons of them. I mean, I went and just quickly found 10. 1 Timothy 2.6, it says he died for all. Hebrews 2.9 said he died for every man. John 3.16 says he died for the world. 1 John 2.2 2 says for the sins of the whole world. Romans 5.6 for the ungodly. 2 Peter 2.1 for false teachers. Matthew 20.28 20, for many. John 11.50 and 51 for Israel. Ephesians 5.25 for the church. Galatians 2.20 for me. That's just 10 verses. All right, so what we have to do is just let the Scriptures do its work. Give them Scriptures, let it do it. Okay, so the U is on unusual arrogance. Let's go to uh, L. All right, for sake of time, we're trying to get through. Uh, L. Uh, the L is limited forgiveness. Limited forgiveness. So... Where, where do we see this limited forgiveness? It's built into the theology of the reform of limited forgiveness granted by God. So what do we mean by that? The belief that God only saves certain people means that forgiveness is not granted to all. With our God as an example then, so in Ephesians when it says, and other scriptures where it says, hey, even in the model prayer, I'm supposed to forgive as God forgave me, it was limited. And I believe independent Baptists have developed this into their, and, and some of it is, I think we, we hung out with the Protestants a little too long, okay? 
And so I've met, I've had discussions with people in ministry that say that forgiveness has qualifiers as far as when I forgive. So I gave you a quote because Jay Adams says, some Christians advise forgiving. Maybe I didn't put it in yours. Nope, I didn't. So here's a quote from Jay Adams. You can look it up. Um, he says, some Christians advise forgiving one another whether or not he confesses sin, but they misunderstood forgiveness. They urged this to benefit the one who forgives, yet it was for your benefit that God forgave you. Their self-centered concept of forgiveness is unbiblical. Then he says, some think when Christ prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, he forgave apart from re repentance, but Jesus granted no one forgiveness by those words. What they're doing is separating uh, or they're combining some things. So my forgiveness is what goes. And it goes, it goes to somebody without any strings attached. I do not see anywhere in Scripture where God says, I'm going to forgive you, but there's strings attached. What they're confusing in doctrine is forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. Now, restoration and reconciliation... There's two parties to that. I understand that. That's doctrine. All right? But as far as my forgiveness, you're saying that when somebody does me wrong, I can say, well, I don't have to forgive them. What we are creating is a world of bitterness and hate. We're creating that. Do you know you're going to have people do wrong to you? So what are you going to do? Well, you know what? If they come back crawling. But I've heard that. Well, you know what? It doesn't seem like they're very repentant. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have, you know, I can forgive somebody for stealing my credit card. And I can. But it doesn't mean I'm going to sit my credit card out when they're around. I, I mean, the Bible also says have discernment and prudence. But to say that we, we don't forgive is a wicked teaching but it is built into their system. If God only forgive, all right, if God only calls a certain amount of people, he didn't forgive everybody then. And so then, if I have to act like God, so that's why I believe Reformed theology is heresy, because it deals with the doctrine of God. It makes my God an unforgiving God. And it's wrong. And we have to help them. We have to help them come to that. So a limited forgiveness. And we must be careful then in uh, our circles not to fall into the same trap. We, can, we, can't, we can't limit our forgiveness to others. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that a relationship will be restored. I'm not saying that. Remember having a friend uh, many, many years ago saying, hey, just so you know, Steve, um, this relationship may never be restored. And it never hit me. You know, I was just like, uh, I have a Jewish lawyer, and he calls me the innocent one. <laughs> That's his nickname for me. Uh, I just, I, I love thinking the positive of people. I think it's actually a good thing rather than thinking the negative. Right, but there's a downside to it. You always just think, well, obviously this will happen. But it sometimes doesn't. I'd never thought of that. 
but it doesn't mean that I don't forgive. You forgive, and you forgive, and you forgive. Even if the other side says, you know what, no, you did this and that. Now, I can't, I can't admit to something that I never did. Right? Some people are like, well, you did this. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Like, you did that. Well, this can't be restored because you did this. I'm like, no, I didn't. Right? And so I have to understand, I, I'm not going to go and admit something that I never did. And so that, in that sense, the relationship may never be restored. But on my side, I'm just going to offer forgiveness and offer forgiveness and offer forgiveness because that's the example of my Savior. And because we're Baptists, we understand. Then it's up to them because they have a choice. And Reformed guys have a hard time with choice. Right? They just have a hard time. I love having choices. So limited forgiveness, the I. The I. All right? So I had to throw in a big word since it's seminary teaching. Insidious. <laughs> if you're wondering how to spell that, I N. S-I-D-I-O-U-S. Insidious Bible interpretation. So when it comes to Reformed theology, the Reformed guys claim to have a very strong Bible knowledge, and it seems almost superior to you and I. I just, well, you know, and, and some of it, so I, I'm in a seminary, and... Uh, but my background is not languages, right? So um, my, my degrees have all been outside of that. Uh, my PhD is in religious education. So I, I don't necessarily like language that much. And uh, I was uh, actually uh, a month ago at a breakfast. What I try to do if I'm coming to an area, I try to get the pastor to maybe get some uh, pastors together. We'll have breakfast. I introduce the seminary to him. We talk a little bit. And, and I almost got into a fist fight. I'm, I am pretty passionate about what I do. I'm pretty intense. Uh, and so um, I, we were talking about something, and the guy had uh, gotten seminary degrees. And then afterwards, uh, the pastor who was hosting it, he's like, hey, just so you know, here's a couple of tips. And this guy leans towards Calvinists. Well, I wish I'd have known ahead of time. Because he started talking to me. He's like, hey, so in your seminary, are you going to have language, uh, language required? I said, actually, no. There are tracks of teaching that I said, my expertise is not that. And I said, uh, you know, Pastor Moore has some language training, but really, I, I don't think language is necessary for everything and understanding Scripture. And he just he goes, how can you have a seminary and not expect language if a pastor is supposed to exegesis properly? And I just looked at him and I said, wait a minute, are you saying 2 Peter 1 is not in Scripture? And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, so is the Bible of some private interpretation? I understand the argument. I said, I am not a Ruckmanite. And don't throw me into that category. But if all you're going to say is that the original languages, that's the only way you can understand the Bible, then we don't have preservation. And then what you've done is for the person in the pew, what you said is, I know more than you. And you can't know this, you little, you know, you know, pumpkin head out there sitting there. I am so, I am so high and lofty. And the average person cannot know the scriptures. And that is not true according to 2 Peter 1. Well, as you can tell, just in talking here, um, it didn't go well. 
Right? And then afterwards, the guy was like, well, he does lean towards Calvinism. And I have no problem with language study. Right? But what we have to understand is when it comes to this insidious Bible interpretation, the average person in the pew has got to be guaranteed that they can know the Scripture. If not, right, we're saying that the Holy Spirit, when they're saved, they don't get the Holy Spirit. And according to John 15, he, one of his jobs is to guide them into all truth. We're well, like, what? All right, and this is a, all right, I was a pastor. I'm not that anymore. And I know the tendency. You know, one of the pitfalls of being a pastor is you start liking everybody coming to you and be like, oh, holy one. Oh, holy one. What, is, what does this mean? And my interpretation of Scripture, they just like, waddle at my feet. Be careful. Make him love this and the book. That's where the joy should come. And actually, if we're not careful, then we would get to the point that you as a pastor, when you have the adult Sunday school teacher get up there, you can't learn from them. Well, really? So where is that in Scripture? So it's of a private interpretation. I mean, oh, well, I just have this higher knowledge. Where do you get that at? And that's what I'm saying as far as the insidious Bible interpretation. So um, independent Baptists even have bought into this. So you hear a lot of the younger guys are like, well, you know what? I hate that topical preacher. I am an expositor. Now, I love studying a passage. I love weaving through a passage. But just so you know, you can't have a systematic Bible theology without being topical. Do so guess what reformed people are? Now, just so you know, that's why I'm saying I'm a little sarcastic, okay? But just so the reformed people are really weak at, guess what? Bible doctrine. Because they take a text and blow it up, but they haven't compared it all through Scripture. They are like, context, context. What about the context with the whole Bible? You can't study a doctrine without having the whole Bible. And it doesn't happen just in one text. That's why I say it's insidious Bible interpretation. And so then, uh, let me give you my last one then. All right, my last one is pseudo, all right, P-S-U-E-D-O, pseudo sanctification. So if you know what pseudo means, pseudo means a fake. It's a hypocritical sanctification. In honor of my past, Pastor Roy Thompson was crazy. He was crazy. I can remember crazy sermons. That he was big. I, I, as a little guy, I remember looking up. I, he kind of walked like John Wayne. His voice was huge. And, and uh, you just were scared of him all the time. And he had a, a love for God's word too, so he would he would do uh, crazy uh, crazy things. But I can I can remember growing up just how he would how he would uh, present just uh, a love for the word of God and how that the word of God has to come in and we had to live it out. 
And so the, the pseudo-sanctification, what I mean by that is there's a, there's a self-righteousness that they have. And so what, I'm, what I was meaning to say with Roy Thompson, there's a sermon or an article that I have that I want to put together is 10 things that I want to be, but the Bible won't let me. And it's an honor of him because he would have messages like that every once in a while. And one of them is, I'd love to be a Reformed theologian. And the reason is, and, and so take this with a grain of salt, I love to be able to go party, drink, be worldly, uh, do whatever I want, not read the Bible, but be thought of as religious. And that is exactly what Reformed people are. All right? They are the, some of the most carnal people I've ever met in my life, and yet... <laughs> I am so religious. Like, where? Where? How? All right, you, you're a rock and roller. All right, you're a, you're a, a drinker. All right, you're, you basically agree with everything that the world does. But I love God. No, you don't. No, you don't. And we have to be willing to say that. The Bible has a lot to say about sanctification. In fact, the Holy Spirit, that is one of his jobs, is sanctifying us. And it's not just at salvation. He's in our life every day to bring us more and more into that place of sanctification until we have that perfect sanctification when we're in heaven. So I have four takeaways for us. At the end, four takeaways. All right, four takeaways. Remember, remember that the devil hates truth. That's why Reformed theology is taking off. He hates truth. Number two, learn to stay Christian in our contending. You know why some of the guys are jumping to reform? Because as independent Baptists, we fillet our, even our own. We even fillet our own. We have to learn to be like Christ. Some of it, bear it. Bear it. Bear some of the reproach. Christ took reproach. We can bear some of it. But then also, let your speech be seasoned with grace. You see a young guy, you know, it's okay he's thinking. Is it wrong he's asking why? He's not, he's not five. He's not a five-year-old. So treat him like that. I've had some young people, and they're like, hey, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm 30 years old. I'm 25 years old. I can read and write, but they act like I don't know anything. Now, they need to have some humility, too. They need, to, they need to have some, but, but some of the people, all right, I, can, I can remember my wife and I have talked about this, and we've said this even in the area of separation, like standards. All right, she can remember growing up, and really there wasn't a lot of Bible presented. Basically, someone getting the pulpit, like, oh, you know what? I just remember some woman walking down the street, and it looked like two, uh, two pigs having a, having a fight in the back. And you're like, I don't know what that has to do with the Bible and around, uh, with standards, but I'm pretty sure that's not winning a lot of people over. It may get a lot of laughs, but let's know the Bible. And let's contend as a Christian. All right? Number, four, uh, number three. 
Remember, we still are Baptist. So what does that mean? They have a free will. They can choose. I may not like it. So don't act like a Protestant. All right, so in, in history, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but uh, I think it was Zwingli. Zwingli there in Switzerland, he called it the third baptism. You can look it up in history. I'm pretty sure it's Zwingli that did it. So what was the third baptism? So he said, you know what, those Baptists, they love being baptized. Let's do the third baptism. So there was baptism basically into salvation. Then you were baptized after salvation. So that was your second. So the third baptism was they baptized him permanently. You can look it up in history. They called it the third baptism. Baptists practice that. I know some Baptists, they practice the third baptism. So if somebody doesn't agree with me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fillet them. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to ruin their life. That's what I say. I, actually, I was, I've been on the phone with a couple of uh, pastors, and they were going crazy. And I said, hey, just so you know, you're Protestant. Oop. I shouldn't have probably said that. Like, yeah, I'm not a Protestant. I said, you're acting like one right now. I said, because I don't believe like you, you think that I don't have the right to have my own opinion, and I have to have yours. We can go our separate ways, and go our separate ways, but the last I checked, I answer to God, and not you. And I don't. And we have to know that. Ultimately, that person answers to God. So stay a Baptist. Let them come to it. And then the fourth thing, uh, so, so let me finish the thought with the Baptist, okay? Remember, we have, we have an understanding, we have an ally, and that is the Holy Spirit. So when you treat them with grace and you deal with them properly, so um, I think that there's, a, there's also a misconception about the pulpit. Some independent Baptists think that the pulpit is the agent of change. You do not find that in the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the agent of change. The pulpit proclaims the truth. But let the Holy Spirit do that work. So if you deal with somebody and you deal with them with grace, you know what the Holy Spirit... If they're saved, they have somebody that never leaves them, and he's pretty powerful, and he can convict them. He can bring them to the light. So the fourth, don't be scared of study. Don't be scared of study. I've heard some people, now I'm in the seminary mode, you know, and that's my job is to help guys and provide ways for people to study. I've heard people say, oh, well, what we need is just more education. Actually, in Scripture, there's a lot to say about study. I mean, just that one really famous verse about study to show thyself approved. Don't be afraid of study. All right, I'm working on another degree right now because it it's a path that helps me. I know not, a seminary is not for everybody. I understand that. But in independent Baptist circles, you know what we made fun of? Learning. Learning. How dumb of us. And now we have some independent Baptists that are lunatics when it comes to some doctrine. 
I try not to use names, but some just came to your head. All right, in Arizona, other places. All right, lunacy. But guess what we made fun of? <laughs> Study. Maybe it would be good for us to get in that book, love the book, know the book, and actually let the author of that book come in and change us. I can tell you this. Remember pastoring. I had somebody come that was a member, and then they came back, and uh, they said, we, we want to join again. I was like, well, what's the difference? They said, you're different. And you know what? God changed me. I was an idiot, a jerk, you know, a tardo, all right, whatever you want to say. I mean, I did fundamentalist, let's do this, and kill everybody. I actually was on the phone with a pastor a couple months ago, and he was asking me about restoration. I said, restoration and reconciliation is all through Scripture, but independent Baptists have been scared of the word restoration because we think it's compromised. We're scared of the word grace. We're scared of the, of the Holy Spirit. And yet all of those things, because we were scared to study a little bit. Study the Word of God. Be strong in it. And then when that person, man, they're coming after you and coming after you and coming after you. You know what? At the end, hey, can we just pray together? Ask God to do His work and you know what, if I'm wrong, may God help me to change. And that spirit, when they leave, it may not be next month, it may be a year or two years or three years, maybe the Holy Spirit will just zero in. And the Holy Spirit can do that work. And you can be, and you can be the human instrument to help lead towards that. But let's... Let's understand the dangers of Reformed theology. Let's present it properly, but then let's also, let's on our side know that there's some errors on our side, and it's okay. Let's just change them. Let's become more sanctified. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time. I pray that you would bless. Help us as Christians, Lord, to be more like you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank for you, the precious Word of God that you've given us. Bless the remaining time we have. Be with Brother Bishop, Lord, give him, give him your power, clarity. And Lord, I pray that we be challenged again in Jesus' name. Amen. If I would, just for a minute, I had a, we had, unfortunately, an individual preach for us, and it was a, it was a train wreck doctrinally in a lot of areas. And uh, had one of the young men in our church call me the next day. He's only been saved two years, no church background whatsoever. And he said, I got to tell you, something bothered me about that message. I said, oh, really? What was that? And he began to list everything that was wrong. And he goes, and then he said, and I went online and I found it's this, 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 and this. It just didn't sound right. And he goes, I'm sorry I didn't catch it. I said, you have made me so happy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That is, I said, it's the inner work of the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, anybody that's filled with the Spirit of God, indwelt by the Spirit, He will do that. He'll guide you into all the truth.
understand that. So thank you for that, Lord. Made me think about that. That was great. Thank you, brother. Thank you for that. Thank you. Pray that's an encouragement and uh, to study and uh, talk with them later. If you, I know you've mentioned that you have, uh, you can kind of audit different classes and things like that if you ever want to and on a certain subject. Um, but just have some time to talk to us. We're going to take about a few minutes, uh, five minute break, 10 minute break maybe, and uh, stretch your legs and all that. And then we'll come back here in just a little bit. <laughs> 